Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's more than 50% of the economic activity is informal in Latin America. And so because of that, they don't have access to capital for growing their businesses. And what we are trying to do is to help out and to, yeah, to make it a little bit more fair for economic growth for everybody. Obviously, you can do it with a pen and paper, but, you know, it's, I can say from experience or, or at least the experience that we have doing it manually is that really doesn't work. And so really our scoring, what we are building is to try to analyze the informal business. When I was in my third year of university, four friends and I did a tour of the British Isles. I used my birthday money for the plane ticket, my waiter's wages for beer money. My uncle towed a caravan into London for us to use as a base. We stayed at a friend's sister in the Cotswolds. My aunt lent us a car with its boot full of goodies and its tank full of petrol so we could explore the Lake District. You get the picture. I'd been to Namibia once as a kid and to England once as a teenager, but this was my first real experience of traveling. And it was incredible. But when I think back to it now... Probably the evening I remember more than any was spent in Edinburgh. We had seen the castle and we'd started a hop-on, hop-off tour of the city. I think we'd jumped off when it got too cold. So it wasn't because of the city's charms, as undeniable as they are. And it wasn't because of anything extravagant we did later. I think we spent our whole night sitting in a railway station bar drinking red stripes because they were on a two-for-one special. But we'd been joined for that excursion by two other school friends who were living in England at the time, and something in the stars just aligned. And then we returned to our youth hostel for the funniest telling off I've ever had in my life, and maybe we would have had as much fun in any other city. But I'll always love the Scottish capital for that night. All of which is really just a very long way of explaining why I jumped at the chance to take the sleeper train north for the 18th meeting of the Credit Scoring and Credit Control Conference. And while I was there, I picked some of the most interesting papers and asked their authors to tell me more. The next one is still two years away, but I suggest you mark it in your calendar now. And until I see you there, welcome to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. Viviana Silas, welcome to the show. You're the Chief Technology Officer and co-founder of Kipu, but also a lecturer in AI at UTDT. Now, I did actually scroll down to see what UTDT stood for, and I was going to use that, but I see my Spanish probably doesn't stand up to the name pronunciation. So maybe we can start there with your academic side, and then we can talk uh, about the lending and the banking side of things. Yes, I'm a professor at the University of Torcuato de Tela in Argentina. And I mainly focus on teaching AI, and then I also lecture out blockchain. Yeah, and I have a really strong background in academia because I did a PhD 
it was computer science and AI, but it was targeted to neuroimaging. So I was analyzing MRI brain scans. So I did that in France at INRIA during my PhD, and then I went to Harvard Medical School and I did a postdoc there. When I was in Boston, I met my co-founders at MIT, and this journey of microlended started from there. And I think that's, I guess, the power of AI, where data is everywhere now, and we can use some of the same techniques. But obviously, I don't know anything about medical, so we'll talk about Kipu Bank. So Kipu is an inclusive fintech that's developing fair and easy alternative finance. What did you and your co-founders see that said, actually, this is a problem we should be solving? Yes, my co-founders really come from a background from informal economies, and that's what they were doing at MIT. And so the original idea really originated from them that they were already working in the ground for years. What they were seeing was that people in informal businesses, such as like slums or favelas, the economy there is, is big. Everybody has businesses and there are many transactions happening there, but everything is offline. So people are unbanked, the businesses are unregistered. And so because of that, they don't have access to capital for, for growing their businesses or, or for improving, you know, the way of living. Most of the financial services generally use credit bureau data and 90% of our users are like listed there. So our users really access pay day lender or in Colombia it's called the gota gota and that is maybe 200% interest rate. And it's aggressive, like they come with the gun and they they threat you to, to give the money back and, and all that. So really we wanted to help out and to, yeah, to make it a little bit more fair for economic growth for everybody. How important is the informal economy to the economies in Latin America, but I guess more importantly to the people of Latin America? How much economic activity does that account for? Yeah, so the majority is more than 50% of the economic activity is informal in Latin America. And what happened is that with COVID, it got worse. But it's not only that. Some things from COVID were good, actually. I don't want to say this because obviously it sounds bad. But really, COVID helped digitalization. So before COVID, our users were really not having any digital, well, not bank accounts, but not also digital wallets. They didn't have that either. And really, COVID, yeah, like most of the people actually have a digital account. Uh, so it's easier to to work with that, you know, like to, to give a credit and to be paid back. Because before we were really doing it through through cash. But yeah, the numbers are, are huge. It's really the majority. And I think it's really unseen, this market, because it's not only for people living in slums and favelas. You might also have... I don't know, a mother with with a family that is also having like a side job on internet. And that's an informal business as well. And if they get a loan, it's really for the person, but not for the business, right? And like what we are trying to do is to give loans for, they, they are really productive loans. And so really our scoring, what we are building is to try to analyze uh, the business, the informal business. You know, it wasn't so long ago that if we were talking about the informal economy and talking about micro loans to micro businesses, it would have been done in a very manual basis. It would have used agents on the ground who personal relationships or group lending or some way of trying to get the money there, but without any of the analytics that's now 
available to us. So talk to me about how you are using AI to solve and to calculate credit worthiness in a way that's more applicable, more useful, more accurate for this sort of uh, customer base. What you are saying about doing it manually, we obviously we started there, right? Because at the beginning we didn't have any data to train an algorithm, right? So at the beginning you need to like give loans, know if they will pay back or not. And based on that results, you can start training a model. So really at the beginning we were doing a lot of manual work I can say from experience or, or at least the experience that we have doing it manually is that really doesn't work. We are going through a journey. We also changed a lot the application. At the beginning, we were a marketplace and we were hoping to use transactions that will happen inside the marketplace. We have like a, also a crypto token and we were hoping that transactions will be with that crypto token. We passed that. We are not building a marketplace anymore. We are really focusing on on having an application where users ask for the loan, they give us some data, we analyze the data, and based on that, we decide if we give them the loan or not. We still have a crypto part in that we are building a lending protocol, and there we allow anybody to be an investor so of these informal businesses, and we disburse the, the money through this lending protocol on blockchain, but it's not a currency anymore. And I'm saying this because the data that we have been acquiring or using or thinking of using in each stage have changed greatly, right? At the beginning, we were hoping to use transactions from our marketplace, now we are really thinking like, well, what information I can ask to a user that it could be useful for me to understand the, the business and if it's profitable or if we can give the loan as well with what information can I get without asking the user, right? What can I go outside uh, on the internet and get? For example, if you use open banking manually, you're going to do very basic computations. The average of income in a month or in a week but like if you are able to put many variables in a model, then the model will find the weight for you. And that's really more accurate, but not only more accurate, it also will have more power. because it's So there are like all these steps that can help you work with massive amount of data, with different dimensions of data, that if you do it manually, it's really... It's not possible really well. So you're in the dangerous area of talking about things I'd know very little about. But my understanding of AI in the credit scoring space is, you know, in the developed markets, we see it and we can add it to our modeling and it can make modeling much faster for sure. But from an accuracy point of view, it gets a little bit better. But actually, regression models were doing a very good job and are still quite fine. But where AI comes in is this scruffy data, this data that's not neatly organized and reported every month in the same format by all the banks, which is actually the, the data from an informal economy where it doesn't all look the same. It comes from multiple sources. It comes up and it disappears. So it's really well placed to help solve that problem. But then I guess when you think about where the AI hubs and the investment are, it's an area that probably doesn't naturally get a lot of AI effort there. So talking about that side of things, obviously, you're also training AI professionals in the region. How much is happening in that space in, in Latin America? How much investment and effort are people putting into using AI to solve these kind of uh, social issues? Yeah, I think from efforts is a lot. For really talking about informal economies, like there are many digital banks today in Latin that are giving microloans for consumption, right? You use AI for that, really. But 
For analyzing informal businesses, I don't think there is many people working on, on that and really trying to get the score to understand the business. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Something that happened to us is that we we need to be sure that the person actually has the business, you know, because it's informal, it's not registered. So um, they give us a lot of information, what they sell. We ask for photos of products. We also ask for a video of, like, the shop and the person explaining. And so that's really something that, you know, you couldn't do it otherwise. And we are really working on, on doing, like, this image analysis and video analysis voice analysis. Yeah, sometimes by looking at the application only, uh, we were not really sure that the person, you know, does this person really has a business or is he showing some clothes that he has in his house? It really opens the door for more and more information, like social media as well, like most of the people sell on social media uh, or on other platforms and you can a web scrap that and and apply it into the into the um, into your analysis. So in that sense, uh, yeah, it allows you to explore more options that are really targeted to your users. Like for example, our users uh, tend to use more Instagram or or TikTok, you know, and so maybe you know those are the platforms that will go. But maybe if you are targeting another population. I don't know, maybe Amazon will be the place to go. When they're borrowing from you, how fast is that process? How different is it for them compared to what it would have been a few years ago? Yeah, it's really fast. We try to disburse the money like within a day or three maximum. So the algorithm is fast, but then we still have other operations going on around <laughs> that we need to make them faster. Also, on the way of the experience uh, for the user, the, the digital literacy is not great, really. Uh, but everybody knows how to use WhatsApp. And also, generally, WhatsApp is free. So you don't have to pay additionally for that data. So everybody uses WhatsApp, but maybe people don't use, like, real internet because they have to they have to have, uh, like, they have to pay for that, right? Yeah. And so we started to have our application uh, form through WhatsApp. So today they can answer all the questions, upload the images, the video, all the information they can do through WhatsApp. It was a huge change when we started to implement the WhatsApp application. It was a pain for us because we had to map that data that came in a different format that maybe had some errors as well. Uh, so it was really much, much harder. Like I wouldn't recommend that to anybody to do an onboarding on WhatsApp. 
but we notice like an increase of users uh, of loan applicants because it's something that they are used to doing. It's very easy for them. I think that when we think of financial services and borrowing, it's intimidating and it's more intimidating the further you are removed. So when you are a small business in the informal economy and you think of borrowing from a bank, you're often self-excluding yourself. You think, I'm not going to qualify, I'm not going to do it. And then you fall into the paths of the loan shock. And we need to get rid of some of these hurdles in the financial services, make it easy. So it's great to hear that you're meeting the customers kind of where they are and to hear that you're really growing very fast. So let's talk about that. Have you got bigger plans? Where are you on that growth journey? I think you're raising capital as well. Yeah, we actually, luckily, we closed the seed round just recently, I think last month. And so, yeah, we are really preparing for Series A right now. Before, our plans were really to start in Mexico. But now I think our, our plan is really to be able to serve very well in Colombia and to grow later to Mexico and maybe Ecuador, Panama. The countries are, are really around Colombia because the, the culture is more close, really. And if anyone listening wants to follow that journey, wants to see what you're doing and look at it in more detail, where's a good place for them to go online to start a conversation or to read more about what you're doing? Yeah, so our website is uh, kipu.com.co and you can find us in LinkedIn and in Twitter and in Instagram. Um, I'm Viviana Siles and the CEO Mercedes Vidart is as well uh, a great connection if you want to talk further. And yeah, and we are in every social. We are in TikTok as well. <laughs> <laughs> great, Viviana. Thank you so much. I'll put those links as well in the show notes for anyone who wants to go. But Thank you for making the time to, to speak to me. I think it's a, a project that can inspire a lot of people in, in other areas as well. Thank you for the invitation. Galina and Riva, welcome back to the show. We're recording here in a room at the Credit Scoring Credit Control Conference, which is just coming towards a close. It's been a fantastic event, I think, for anyone in the industry that gets their hands dirty in the data in particular. So I've really enjoyed myself. In fact, as I was saying earlier, one of the biggest challenges I've had in organizing interviews is all the attendees want to be at the talks. So it's very hard to pull people away. So congratulations on a great event. I would say most of the people I bumped into around here are coming back year after year after year, or two years after two years after two years, I suppose. We've got another one coming up in two years, of course. But before we talk about that one, what are some of your thoughts or highlights from what's happened these last three days? Busy, nerve-wracking, and very satisfying. We reached almost the maximum capacity. And uh, from around the world as well, lots of different accents and languages heard. Yeah, we have delegates from 34 countries. 80% of delegates come from the industry. More than 100 papers split into five parallel streams. It's a nice interchange there, and I've sat in a range of different talks from some being more familiar to me to some really technical ones getting into generative AI and how those models will be built. I've had some interviews where I've got notes, all sorts of words I don't understand, um, but it's really been refreshing on that front. People getting into the technicalities of machine learning, when is it useful, when is it not, how do you stop overfitting, how do you make sure that your policies are unbiased, 
but also then going into more human aspects, there, there have been talks on the psychological impact of financial distress, some more mundane stuff on just, you know, scorecard monitoring and scorecard building, lots of climate change. Uh, I sat on a talk about a cyclone in, in Mozambique and the impact that's had and how the, the, the lender responded in very practical terms with payment holidays and such to yeah, some talks that are really much more about the modeling of climate change. Yeah, the variety of talks and uh, the variety of different topics touched upon is truly mind-blowing. This is the modeling conference, and I would say the majority of the talks adhere to this main topic, main objective. But I was increasingly pleased to see how many divergences are there into mostly societal aspects of credit and how credit models and uh, credit decisions affect different aspects of general life. And I'm always amazed uh, how responsive the industry is uh, to any new challenges. Uh, you have a, a new problem and almost immediately there are some solutions, maybe not perfect, but uh, there are solutions and this conference is really the place to bring them to receive positive or negative, but useful in any case feedback. Every talk I've been to, regardless of the stream, regardless if it was a room full of people or a smaller audience, regardless if it was being presented by someone very comfortable speaking or somebody who is a little bit more reserved, Great questions and feedback, as you said, from the audience. There wasn't a single one where there were no questions. I think every speaker had some really good feedback and thoughts added. Many, many people I spoke to, they've been here a dozen times, they've been here five times. It just seems to be once people come, they come back again. So in two years' time, I guess we've got another event coming up if they want to make a, a little pencil mark in their calendars. When are we looking at getting back into Edinburgh again to, to do this all over? Traditionally, this will be the last week of August 2025. So the exact dates will be announced slightly later. But uh, people interested can already put this uh, into their diaries. Uh, and um, just one last point. Life does not stop after the conference. Credit Research Center will be still here operating until the next conference. And uh, if uh, people have projects. Do get in touch uh, with us. We are eager to discuss them. And thank you all for listening. Please do look for and follow the show on your favorite podcast platform and share the updates widely on LinkedIn, where lending nerds are found in our largest concentration. Plus, send me a connection request while you're there. This show is written and recorded by myself, Brendan LaGrange, in Brighton, England. Show music is by I Am Wake. And you can find show notes and written transcripts at www.howtolendmoneytostrangers.show. And I'll see you again next Thursday. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.